Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Do me a favor. Will you stand with me if you're able to? We're going to take a look at a scripture. I want to be able to pray over you. Um, It's a beautiful holiday season. It really resonates with me, what Rowena said. This should be the greatest time of year, but for some, this is a challenging time. I know I had an aunt that was tragically murdered during the holiday season. I remember sitting in a congregation while I was a kid, and they were singing about the hope of the world, and I was thinking about my aunt. Now, some of you have lost loved ones during the COVID season. Some of you are going through challenging situations. Some of you are going through situations that would be shocking to maybe some of the other people in the room. Yeah, some of you are doing fantastic. Let's not, let's not, let's not pour like, you know, uh, wah, wah, all over everything, okay? But I want to, I believe that God has something for you tonight to help you to navigate through this season a little better. He's got hope for you. Even though it's a challenging situation maybe that you're facing, God's got good answers, supernatural answers for you. Uh, As we look at the Christmas story, it's filled with the miraculous, of course. And as we look at uh, the Christmas story, typically there's a lot of key players. Jesus in 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 the little manger, right? We've got angels singing over the fields. We've got Mary traveling caravan of wise men, but there are several different stories that are maybe a little bit backstage behind the lights in this series that we're talking about, and I want to draw your attention to them because I believe there's some real gold there for you, and I believe tonight that I I really have a word from God for you. I know this so much so that I got a call from someone yesterday wanted to talk, and I wasn't able to, and so when I contacted them today, they said, well, I've been praying about it, and me and the Lord kind of worked through it, and they gave me the brief details of what they were needing some help with. I was like, my word, that's shocking. I'm preaching on that very topic tonight, and I know that that's not a coincidence. God always has things specifically for us to help us navigate forward. I'm going to read this, whoops, I'm going to go back here, uh, read this verse to you, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place. I could just stop there. You understand what a crazy miracle that is. The greatest gift is located in that scripture of your life. Jesus Christ, the birth took place. In this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, this is key, Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Probably one of the unsung songs, one of the most incredible attitudes a man could have. His wife, the woman he was engaged to, became pregnant not by him. And he wasn't focused on the hurt he experienced. He was focusing on helping her. So I've titled this message, Being Wronged the Right Way. And so this is the question I have for you. Have you been wronged? Anybody here in the room? Come on, get your hand up there. Use both hands. Use your fingers and toes. Use whatever hair you have. Because you've been wronged. Amen? Every one of you have been wronged. And some in small ways, But boy, some of you have had a sledgehammer taken to your head. 
But I want to challenge you to look into these verses and be wronged, when wronged, the right way. Father, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for your goodness. You said in this world we would have some troubles, and certainly we look into this story. There was trouble for a good man named Joseph. And yet, Lord, he navigated remarkably. Wow. It inspires me. I, I desire these qualities, and I pray that they could be a part of your church's qualities because wrong does come to our lives. But navigating well is such a testimony of the God that has redeemed our lives. And so I pray for uh, freedom tonight. I pray for hope tonight. I pray for a, a new way to approach wrongs for some. God, that you'll help us to honor you in all that we experience and all that we do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. You give the Lord a big hand. Grab your Bible as you're seated. And uh, you'll notice the QR code on the uh, screen behind me because I do go ahead and provide the notes. I don't get to 90% of what we have uh, typically going on. And so I usually have so many more scriptures and don't get to them all, but I want you to have access to them. Uh, I love this story. I love our, our look at this story here in Matthew chapter number one. You know, Joseph is absolutely without question a key player in biblical history. Such a remarkable man, and yet there's only a few things mentioned about him briefly in Scripture. And I collated some of this just to throw it out your way, but he was a direct descendant of a man named Boaz. If you're an Old Testament buff and you know the story of Ruth and Naomi, one of his ancestors was Boaz. And on down that family tree... Uh, King David and later King Solomon was in his lineage. Joseph came from primo lineage. Many of his ancestors were iconic and prolific leaders, both in politics and in the realm of spirituality. And as he steps onto the scene, he is actually betrothed to a woman of equal social status named Mary. You can look at her lineage, and it's quite remarkable as well. Now, the fact that they were betrothed is a little bit different than our culture. Betrothal was typically an arranged marriage. It could be arranged by the man or the families, and a dowry is paid, and they enter into a binding contract and refer to one another as husband and wife, but there is typically a prolonged season of preparation. Many times where the young man, uh, in this case Joseph, probably closer to 30 than 20, and Mary probably closer to 20 than 25, um, he would go off and he would begin to prepare for them to come together. Typically would even build a house, prepare a space that they would be able to join with his family and begin to begin their lives together. And in this season of betrothal, it is still binding and they are referred to as husband and wife, though the ceremony hasn't taken place and they have not come together to consummate their marriage. Now, the Bible lists out the fact that this young man, Joseph, was a just man. That means he's the type of guy who does the right thing. When people are looking, when people are not looking, and you can even see that in his relationship because he's engaged to this young woman over a long period of time, and he's paid the dowry price, and yet, appropriately, he has yet to sleep with her. He's honoring her virginity. He's honoring the word of God, and so he's done the right thing. He's also in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, quick to obey the Lord. It's a moment where God speaks to him, and the Bible says, immediately, he obeys God. There's no hesitation. He's a righteous young man. He's a righteous young woman as well. Uh, he was visited several times by angels, 
and God spoke through those angels in dreams. Believe it or not, God can definitely speak through dreams. Now, not every dream I've ever had has been inspired by God. I've been chased by Frankenstein. I've buried people in my backyard after killing them, and the police have shown up, and I'm afraid they're going to find the bodies. I don't believe that's from God, okay? But God can certainly speak through dreams. Keep this in mind, that this man Joseph was chosen by God. God sent his son and chose this man to be the earthly representation of a father to raise his one and only son, Jesus. Hand-selected. Now, every one of you as parents, you're hand-selected by God. Foster parents, adopted parents, you're hand-selected by God to raise those children. God put his every one of our children in our hands. You don't own your child. Your child is a gift from God. You are a steward, and God is entrusting you. But he entrusted Joseph with his one and only son. And I think that that's just absolutely remarkable. This father prioritized the gathering of the church, or what, was called, what we know as to the church before the church began, because even as an infant, eight days, he brought his son Jesus to the temple to be dedicated in Luke chapter 2. And we know that annually they journeyed to Jerusalem for the Passover. Every single year they did this, Luke chapter 2, 41. Jesus, as a boy, gets separated from his family, and he's missing for three days, and his parents find him in the house of God, blowing the scholars away with his understanding as a boy of Scripture. And his parents are like, son, where have you been? We've, we've been at our wit's end. And he looked at them, and really, I'll, I'll give you the sub-story here, the sub-text. He looks at his mom and dad. There was no, like, front of the counter at the, at the front of the store. Like, when you lose your child, you go up to the front of the store, paging Billy. Billy, please come to, you know, the front of the building. Or you as a parent get paged. But Jesus had that built into his life so much that he was in the house of God. It was like the front counter of life that if I'm missing, you could find me in the house of God. Because as a family, that's where they were. Not to say they didn't have real life. I believe they went camping or their version of that back then. They went and did four-wheeling, their version of that thing. They, they did life, but they still prioritized the house of God. And I want to challenge you as parents when you prioritize the house of God, you will find that your children will, will, will prioritize it in the process. And the good things that happen in relationships and in worship and in prayer will stick with your, your kids. God will reveal himself anywhere, anywhere to your children. But I've, my experience is especially in the house of God. Uh, Jesus as a man carried that in. The Bible says even in his ministry, daily he could be found in the temple teaching, not just because he was the son of God, that was how his earthly father had raised him. Another thing about Joseph, he was a fierce protector of his family. Got any mama and papa bears in here? Come on. You see something going on, you're like leaning forward and claws out, right? When, uh, when Joseph realized after the, the wise men visited him, by the way, the wise men didn't visit them after Jesus was born in a manger. It was a couple years later. They were actually in a house when you read the account. The Magi revealed that Herod was uh, looking for the king, and then they were, Joseph was warned again in a dream that Herod is going to try to kill this boy. He doesn't know who he is. Herod, buckle up here for a second. Uh, Joseph broke the law, and he fled the country, which he was not allowed to do, and he immigrated illegally into a different nation to protect his family. And it was a righteous thing for him to do. 
Later on, as he went to go and return back to his hometown, he was warned again, and he actually moved his family to Nazareth because he was protecting his children. Protect your kids. I'm going to say it again. Protect your kids. Trust, but verify. And I don't care if that's friends. It's where they go. It's here in the church. We had a new family that showed up in the church who have followed their children in because their children come, their students come to youth group, and I let them know, hey, listen, every youth leader has been background checked. Every one of our volunteers in the church is background checked. In our normal buildings, we have cameras in every room. Why? Trust, but verify. Amen? Protect your kids. Do your research. Just because somebody says this is what should be done to your child, don't buy in. And I have an amen. Because at the end of the day, the school district, as good as it may or may not be, or as good as your, your friends are, may or may not be, you are responsible for your kids. Protect your kids. Amen. Don't be fearful in doing it, but they are your responsibility. It's okay. Don't be a helicopter parent, but lean in and be involved with what your child has going on. Okay, that's free. Um, <laughs> Joseph also had many children besides just Jesus. Now, Jesus, he's serving as the, the uh, kind of the stepfather, the adopted father, adopted by heaven, and that's how every adoption takes place. I believe that God ordains people to do that, and it's a beautiful picture. Uh, you definitely want heaven guiding you in that process, anybody who's been involved with that. But in the process, we read in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, that Jesus had younger brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and one even named Judas. How ironic is that? Not the Judas, but a Judas, which was a common name in the time, and also had a number of sisters that are not named in Scripture. So Joseph raised a big family. He provided for a big family. We honor big families, small families, but big families. A Jordan and Caitlin just starting off their giant family of 12, 15, 25 kids. Give them a big hand. We're excited about that. I think a, I think a big family is awesome. We have three kids, but I wish that we... we okay. I, I said, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Yeah. Um, he's also a hardworking business owner. This may not sound super spiritual, but it is. Work hard. Work hard, because you don't work for your boss, you work for the king. Amen? So he was a hard worker. And we know that he was a, a carpenter. Don't get this picture of making whittling small toys and sending Jesus out to the traffic circle, uh, begging for poor, somebody buy my toy, and a couple pennies thrown so he could buy pistachios and bring them back to the family. He's a contractor. He owns a business. Jesus grow, grew up, likely, upper middle class home, building, working Carpenters did stone masonry, they are masonry, they did metallurgy, they did carpentry. This guy was a mover and shaker in business, and that's what Jesus grew up in. Some point between Jesus' 15th and 30th birthday, Joseph dies. We don't know the details, but he's gone from the story. And that is a chapter worth considering, the impact of that in Jesus' life. The fact that he laid to rest his father and the trauma that goes with that and the challenge that goes with that. Not only that, but in their culture, believe it or not, Jesus is the oldest son, automatically inherits all responsibility now to lead this family. He's in charge now of the family business and he inherits his dad's house. We know his dad had a house. In fact, when you read the story of Jesus teaching in a house, and they cut a hole in the roof to lower a lame man down because they couldn't get him through the front door. When you read a couple versions of the scripture, 
you discover that that was likely Jesus's family's house. Jesus was not this poor pauper running around in a burlap bag with falling apart sandals begging for the next meal. When the Bible says that for our sake he left heaven's riches and became poor, that is talking comparatively. And it doesn't mean that he was barely scraping by. When he said, I have no no place to lay my head, he didn't mean that he didn't have a house to live in at a point in his life. He meant that this world is not his home. Don't despise wealth and blessing and riches. They're very valuable. They're a gift from God. Amen? They're to be used for the kingdom. Jesus was wealthy enough that when he died, they gambled over his clothing. Let that sink in for a second. You can enjoy the good things that God has in your life. Just don't allow those good things to have you, right? Okay, so let me give you a couple contextual details about Joseph's life that make this scripture more understandable. He finds out during the betrothal period that Mary was pregnant. Let that sink in for a second. A great guy from a strong family lineage with an arranged marriage with a young woman who's a great young woman with a strong family lineage, doing all things right, living a strong, successful people, business in the community and all, 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 all that's going on in their world. And then scandal of all scandals pops up. In that culture, you've read stories in Jesus' time, what happens to a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. This is the woman that Joseph is betrothed to. And what I find so remarkable, I don't know how you would respond, but I tell you what, that real quick would go from zero to 100 miles an hour. And yet the Bible says of Joseph that he considered these things. He processed it. He didn't emotionally react. Do you you not understand that this is a direct attack on him if you're in those shoes? How could she do this to me? How could she do this to my family? How could she do this to this? I've been building our home. It's almost done. I was going to arrange my bridal party to go and retrieve her next week, and then we find out this. And yet he's calm enough to step back, and I love this about him. It's a good lesson for all of us to consider these things thoughtfully, to pray about them. You know, no doubt he felt wronged by Mary. Again, how could she do this to me? I mean, um, ultimately, in his mind, she had to have been unfaithful. She shares the excuse that she's pregnant by God. Now he realizes he's engaged to a, a wackadoodle. I mean... People have tried some really strange excuses. You've heard some of them. Maybe you tried one of them. But God has gotten me pregnant? That's a stretch for anybody. It was going to be a scandal if the child was his to all of his family in the community. It was going to be a scandal even bigger if it wasn't his. No doubt he wanted to step forward, you know, and just put a post out on Facebook. Look, just so everybody knows, it's not mine. Right? Because, I mean, at least you want to do when you've been wrong to set the record straight. To let everybody know the bruise on your head isn't because you're clumsy. It's because he pushed you. Right? Your business didn't collapse because you're not a good business owner. It's because your partner ripped you off. We need to get that information out there, don't we? 
It, not to maybe even be mean and get them back, but to set the record straight. And Joseph doesn't even do that. No doubt he wanted to make it right by giving her what she deserved. But the Bible says he was a just man and un, unwilling. I find that remarkable. I, like it, it moves me on the inside. Unwilling. Unwilling to put her to shame. You know what that tells me? Everything within him is screaming to put her to shame. Probably his friends and probably his family. Probably the religious leaders. And yet he was unwilling. Unwilling to dishonor her. Unwilling to pull her down so that he could be elevated. There's so many qualities in this guy that are remarkable. That is a guy who is secure in who he is. I don't need to pull her down to lift me up. Me and God, I know where I stand with him. It doesn't matter who says what. It doesn't matter who is posting what. It doesn't matter the whispers behind my back. I don't need to fight that battle because me and God, we're good. We know where we stand. And so he was unwilling. Let me ask you this question. Have you been unwilling to put someone who deserves the shame to shame? And that's a quality that I think, man, it's so admirable. It's so beautiful. I haven't always chosen this route. But in reading this scripture, it inspires me to lean into it for the next time and the time that will come, no doubt, after that. He was wronged, but he wronged the right way. Amen? You know, people... Uh, when they're wronged, they respond so many different ways. It can become all-consuming. It can eclipse everything in their life. It can cripple them. It can even imprison them when they've been wronged. It can become their new filter for looking at every new relationship and transaction in life. It can become their identity. I'm the person who somebody left. I'm the person who somebody cheated on. I'm the person who failed in business. I'm the person who was rejected. I'm the person that was tragically injured. They can become their identity. They can give up and quit, or they can retaliate. An eye for an eye, I'll get her back. Or two eyes for an eye, because that feels better, right? It could be death and destruction to the opponent. It could become, uh, I become bitter, unforgiving, and I take it out on other people in my life. I become addicted to something that eases my pain, but at least... Most of us demand justice and a setting right of the record. But Joseph did not set the record straight. And his son later on did not set the record straight. Certainly a quality passed from Joseph to Jesus. Because you understand that Joseph was charged to raise up Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom. He didn't just pop out of the womb like Wonder Woman with golden bracelets deflecting all of life's challenges, he grew. And one of the strongest influences in his life was no doubt Joseph. And as Joseph didn't set the record straight, we watched Jesus. As he's standing before the high priest in Matthew 26, being accused of all sorts of wrong things, he stands there confidently knowing that none of that's true. Him and God are good. He does not need to justify who he is. And the Bible says, he said nothing. He was asked the question, have you no answer? These men are testifying against you, but Jesus did what? Remain silent. 
Later on, he was in front of Pontius Pilate in Matthew chapter 27. Pilate says to him, do you not hear how many things they're testifying against you? They're saying all of this stuff about you. But Jesus gave them no answers, not to even a single charge. Then it says, and Pilate was amazed. One of the greatest miracles, one of the greatest testimonies that God could reveal to others through you is how you navigate being wronged. If you navigate being wronged in a right way, it likely might be bigger than healing. It might be bigger than you forecasting a sunny day tomorrow when it's supposed to rain. The ability to navigate being wronged the right way will catch attention from the people in your world. So I want to give you a few right ways to be wronged. You ready to go? Thanks, Marina. Anybody else? Come on, help me out here. Rowena was up here and you were cheering for her. Val's up here, you guys are cheering. I need a little love. Come on. Thank you. Come on, let's... Hey, do me a favor. Lean forward into this. This is so practical. Because can you remember the last time you were wronged? Maybe it was just something small. Maybe it was somebody who said, I don't like your tattoo. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Or maybe somebody attacked you deeply, publicly. I promise you there's going to be a next time. <laughs> and everyone said, praise God, amen. But I want to help you to, to do this well. And I want to help you to look in the rearview mirror and possibly make some adjustments so that that's smoother, okay? So number, number one, take the wrong off the person and put it on the calendar. Take it out of the Rolodex and put it on the calendar. The wrong that happened to you, I know it was delivered through a person, but that complicates things. I want to challenge you to take it off the person and put it on the calendar. Let it be an event in life and not a person who did a thing. And one of the reasons why is the people who are going to hurt you most deeply are going to be the people that are the closest to you in your life that you can never get rid of. That is just the reality. The I can remember the time when I looked at Leslie as a little child and I said to her, don't you love daddy? And she looked back at me and said, not all the time. And I remember the rage that rose up within me, and I wanted to shake that kid because she deserved it. And Rowena said, calm down. She's a baby. It bothered me. Wrong answer. And that was someone close to me. And likely some of your deepest hurts have come from the people the closest to you. And if you keep it in the Rolodex and not on the calendar, it will make life very difficult. One of the best ways to detach from the difficulty is to pull the, 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 the responsibility off the person. Not that they, can't, they have to be responsible, but to put it on the calendar because calendars mark what happened, not what is going to happen again. But people carry with them the things that we hang on them every single time we see them. And when someone hurts you, when someone wrongs you, it will not only pollute every future encounter, next thing you know, you're looking back at good times in the rearview mirror, but all you can see is the wrong that they did to you. 
You know, you could have a friend for 20 years, and the last five minutes is the worst experience ever, and all of a sudden they're the worst human being on the planet. And that simply just isn't true. Some of the people who have hurt me the deepest in my lifetime have been some of my very closest friends from the, over the longest periods of time. And you've got to detach. And, and if you don't detach, you end up looking like the fool because you were married to somebody who was an idiot that you're no longer married to. But you did get married to them. So what does that make you? So-and-so is such a moron. Now, am I allowed to say that, that word these days? There's so many words that I'm not allowed to say. Anyways, I'm not very PC. I hope you just for, forgive me. Forgive me, okay? So in the process, you know, it's somebody who, who, who has done you really, really wrong and you were friends for 20 years and your relationship breaks up and you're walking around telling everybody what, how, how, how <laughs> what's a great word, how challenged they are. And that's all, they're just a terrible person. And, you know, you want to raise your hand, but like, but you hung out with them for 20 years. It took you 20 years to figure that out. Now, maybe it's just that they had a very, very bad day. And so let's put it on the day and not the person. Does that make sense? Seeing wrongs as events instead of people allows you to continue navigating the future with those people still in your life and not all the feelings attached to it. You know, a wrong that happened has a limited life on the calendar, but a person who has wronged you carries that wrong into every new interaction. It's like if you have a car accident, just let that be, hey, that day I had a car accident. Not that guy who's a horrible driver, who, by the way, I know who he is. He crashed into my car. Every time you see that guy, it's just going to be this venom pouring out of you. Allow the thing that happened to be an event instead of a person. I know it happened through a person, but what I have found is the wrongs that happen to us, honestly, are very rarely personal. Very rare is the person who wakes up one day and says, oh, yeah, I met that guy, Stephen, at church. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to get him today. Oh, yeah. It doesn't happen. What happens is there's something beyond Steve that this person is fixated on. And while going after the thing they want, they run over Steve. He's collateral damage. But in the, being the collateral damage of a firing at work or a business shutdown or something tragic that happened in a, at school, nobody probably was after you to get you. You probably were something that was in the way of something much bigger. You know, you got to understand that people lack the clarity sometimes of the impact of their decision on you. There's likely a lack of clarity of the impact. Jesus, while hung on the cross and being tortured by specific people, prayed this way, Lord, forgive them. And then he says something that's so profound. For they know not what they do. I am convinced that 90% of the things that have happened to me, they actually didn't really fully understand what they were doing. And if you were to go even a step further, uh, maybe they were trying to do something that is not clear in their motives. Do you know that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, as you study it historically, we believe that he was actually trying to put Jesus in a position to take his rightful throne and overthrow the Roman occupation. 
And he thought by turning him over to the priests and then over to Pilate that Jesus would say, okay, enough of this. I am the king and take over. So he sold out Jesus. And you can see that in his remorse when he realizes he betrayed innocent blood. The Bible says he threw the money into the temple and went away weeping. What have I done? I've betrayed innocent blood. He did not fully comprehend what he was doing. The deepest hurt that you've experienced, I would likely say that person didn't, well, they should have. I want you to know that these hands have dealt out probably as much injury in this lifetime as they've received, and likely unknowingly or unintentionally. And the same is likely true of you, and Jesus recognized that. Okay? That's a little bit heavy, but smile. It'll help you to move forward. It'll help you to understand. Now, there are a few times when people make it personal. They dial your number, and they laugh in the phone. <laughs> I'm going to destroy you. And then they are successful in doing so. But even those people, you understand that the Bible says that Satan entered Judas? Do you understand that all of us have been nudged, have been budged, and actually shoved by the enemy and used by the enemy at times in our life? And you have to recognize that behind that person who has injured you are oftentimes deep levels of influence that's dark that came into their life when they were vulnerable as well. Okay? Amen. I'm out of time. Should I keep going just a little bit? I'll go through this quicker. Put a... Put a, <laughs> There's a few people might have something going on, Pat. They're like, shut up, girl. I'll try to give these to you really quick. Um, oh, I'm in charge of this. Um, put away the offense as quickly as possible. In other words, get it off the person and onto the calendar as quickly as possible. Great verse on the screen. Let all bitterness, this is talking about conflict. This chapter is about conflict, Ephesians chapter 4. And this is the later stages of a conflict. You were wronged and what sets in bitterness where you're really angry. And then you're filled with wrath and anger. And then you stir up a ruckus and you start telling everybody what that person did. That's what the scripture is talking about here. It says, put it away. Put it away. What does that mean? It means it's in your hands, put it away. I liken it to like this. If I were to take a backpack and, well, let's do a fanny pack because I hear they're cool again, they never, which they never were. Um, if I were to take offenses as rocks and put them in the fanny, why do they call it a fanny pack and you wear it on the front? It makes no sense. Anyways, am I wearing it the wrong way <laughs> at home when I don't wear it? Um, the offenses that come against your life, if you hold them in your hand and you put them in your fanny pack or your backpack, you carry them around, they weigh you down. Bible says to put them away. Take them out of your hands and give them into heaven's hands. Put them on the calendar. Don't walk around. Here's the problem with walking around with them. They weigh you down over time. The people who hurt you, it's not impeding them, it's impeding you. Your ability to move around well impacts the people who are traveling with you. You get used to the rocks like they're not even there. 
You know, it's like the hole in the wall at your house. It's been there for five years. Been meaning to repair it. Nobody sees it. It looks like a fist punch through there, but it wasn't. It was one of the kids threw something, but you hardly notice it. But when a new friend comes to visit, like, whoa, what's going on in this house, right? And people notice when you are an offended person, it's like a smell. When you have bad breath, you don't know it, but every, all your friends do. And when you are carrying offense, you can't smell it, but it permeates the smell of everything around you. Take it and put it off. It's not going to go away, but you don't need to carry it around. Amen? Okay. Putting it away allows for God to deal with it, both the person who hurt you and justice and God's great way of pouring back in what was stolen from you. As long as you hold it in your hand, as long as you carry it around, as long as you keep talking about this thing, you're stopping God for redeeming and pouring back into your life his good favor and his blessings that he wants to bring to make up for the wrong done to you. Surrendering it frees him up to deal with them and deal with you. Now, you could go and pay them back for what they did, but you're going to find that God can pay them back better because he wants to actually help them, and then he can bless you better because you haven't complicated the situation. Next one real quick. Um, Bless instead of cursing. Yes, the person who wronged you, bless instead of cursing. Scripture's real clear there. Romans chapter 7, verse, or Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse them. And I'd say it this way, honor them instead of dishonoring them. What did Joseph do? He did not want her to be put into a place of shame. Does not mean that he lied about the reality that she was pregnant, but he didn't need to focus on that. He was able to focus on better qualities, the wonderful woman that she was. And of course, when the angels revealed that, no, really, she's pregnant from heaven. Like, whoa, this is crazy. Thank God angels showed up because I wouldn't have believed anybody else. And he was able to find out, guess what? The offense that I thought came my way, I didn't have all the information. And I'd be willing to bet that there's some things that you have processed and have been hurt by but you don't have all the information. Someday you will. So what do we mean by bless those who persecute you and not curse them? Well, the moment that you start rehearsing and telling everyone this bad thing that happened to you, that bad thing is on your mouth, and you are actually empowering yet again that bad thing that happened. And it's like a fire that you keep funding with wood by continuing to talk about it. Yes, you need to talk about it. Process it with the right people. But not everybody in your Fab Five on your phone plan needs to hear about it. Not everybody on Facebook needs to hear about it. It doesn't need to be the story that you rehearse every time friends and family get together. Oh, it's not, it doesn't need to be the bigger scar in the story of scars where your buddies hang around. Oh, you think that's bad. Listen to wait till you hear what so-and-so did to me. What you end up doing is just empowering it in your life causing the stink to remain strong, hanging on you, now permeates the people around you and gets on them, further uh, brings shame on the person who, who wronged you. So a thing that I would challenge you to do, I had this conversation with a guy in our church, had someone who had deeply hurt him over his lifetime for a number of years, 
this person passed away, and we had a conversation about how to handle questions at the funeral. Because everyone knew that there was a conflict between the one who passed away and the one who was going to be at the funeral. And I challenged him. I said, you could say a lot of things, and they would be true. But I want to challenge you. Can you think of a couple of good days, a couple of good things? And I want you to blow people's mind by saying, you know what? I'm sad that he's gone. I remember the time he bought XYZ for me. I remember that trip he took me on. I remember the time we went camping. Talk about, that's how you bless those who have hurt you. Your friend who tore your heart out when he left, the worship team's coming. That friend that tore your heart out, you better come because it's getting late. Small children screaming back in kids' church at this point. I'm in trouble. Um, does, that, does that make sense? I challenge you, try that out. The next time you and your spouse or your close friend who all knows the wrong that you experienced, discuss that person who wronged you, I want to challenge you to bless and not curse. Change the atmosphere around your dialogue. It's not fixing that person anyways. And don't lean into flattery. Flattery is telling lies about somebody that are not true. Don't make stuff up. But bless. Speak to the things that are valuable. Speak to the things that are true. And if there's not anything good to say, what is the old adage? Stand with me. Let me give you this last one. We're going we're to pray. I don't know if we'll actually sing. I apologize. Ah. I know I've wronged you, but you have three steps and now a fourth one to work through. Hey, find the treasure hidden in the field called wronged. There is something valuable that heaven will give you in that pasture where that horrible thing has happened. There's a wrongly understood scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. A lot of people will say it this way. All things work together for good. All things don't work together for good. People get hurt. People die. People are poisoned. There are accidents. There are fires. Not all things work out good. But the scripture says we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. For the people who love God, in the moment where you've been wronged, there is gold to be found. In some of your deepest tragedies, there is a strength that you will now possess that no one else may have that you will use to help others. There is a strength that's been brought into your life. You know, a boxer before a big match, part of his training is to be punched in the torso repeatedly. Why? It builds up strength so that when he goes into the fight night, he's able to take a punch that would normally crush his ribs, but now he can take the punch and not even, not even grimace. There's a strength that's been built in you if you allow its good and perfect work to take place that will allow you to navigate to the future the better in spite of the wrong that's happened. Yes, it still is tragic. Yes, it is still terrible. But allow God to make a deposit of good. Don't miss the gold in your circumstance. There are good things that are available. Remember, Jesus was crucified it brought us salvation, and he was able to be resurrected. Good things happen when you find the gold in the bad pasture.
Amen? Let me pray for you, and we're going we're gonna to dismiss, okay? Um, I want to look you in the eye before you bow your head, and I just want to say, I'm not going to invite you to the altar. I just want to pray over you. Some of you, I know your stories. You have, you have experienced deep, deep wrong. Uh, there was a poll at one time, Rowie was talking with uh, some, of the, some of the women in our church, and we had found that there had been, like, uh, percentage-wise, I don't remember, I think it was like three or four people at our table had experienced tragic death or miscarriage out of four ladies, three had experienced that. You were wrong. Some of you had experienced it on the hands of others by the actions of others. The levels of physical and sexual abuse amongst even people in the church is so high. But God can redeem those things and strengthen you to allow you to navigate in a strong, healthy way. You can be the better for the thing you've experienced. Amen? You can carry on your greatest injury into the future and allow it to be the thing that sets people free. God will use you because of what you've been through in remarkable ways, amen? So with my eyes open and looking you right eyeball to eyeball, Lord, I thank you for your people. They've been through physical challenges. They've been through accusation. They've been through rejection by people. They've experienced families divorcing. They've been in situations where their world has been tipped upside down. Family has left them. Family has said, no, you can't come over to the house. You don't meet my qualifications in this season. So others have been wronged by family members face to face. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And all of you have experienced those types of things. But Father, I just speak life over your people. I'm inspired by Joseph. What a class act. Not willing to allow what seemed like his enemy to suffer shame. And God, you use that so miraculously. We pray that you will help us to navigate our past wrongs and our future wrongs in a remarkable way that causes people to notice. God, I'll ask you to put a word of honor in their mouth for their enemy. The next time that they speak and the voice in their head is wanting to say bad things that uh, they prophesy and speak favor. Change the atmosphere that then in turn changes their heart. And I pray for that for my friends, my family, our church family. Let these people navigate so well. Such a great group of people. Let their kids see how they navigate. And inspire their kids. Kids grow up underneath them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.